0: How are we doing? Boy, y'all are quiet. How are we doing? Good. I can't hear you from the live stream. That's okay. You can hear me. Maybe, hopefully. Let's knock on wood. How are we doing? I'm Brad. It's always interesting when the, they use the match instead of the lighter, I get nervous. Because many times the match has broken and my finger catches the fire and it really hurts. So to see Christine hit the match, it's like, ooh, going old school. All right. Uh, Hey, there is a a, a highway in California that runs from the southern area to the north area, and it's not I-5 or 101. It's totally something that many people don't go on. It's 395. Have any of you been on 395? Yes. Okay. You're going for 395. We used to take it to go to Mammoth, Yosemite, and Tahoe. That's what 395 is good for. But along the way, there are a bunch of towns that are kind of barely there because you don't stop. Uh, And and it takes you, this this road takes you through these places. It's not nowhere because you're actually somewhere. It's just that no one really wants to be there because they're all heading to somewhere else. It's there are those towns. Does it make sense? It's towns like Lone Pine, Independence, Big Pine, which is the bigger pine than Lone Pine and not a loner. That's the difference. That's what we figured out driving up. And then there's the town of Bishop. How many of you heard of those towns? Steve, congratulations. You're going to win a new sweatshirt. (laughs) But those towns don't get a lot of press. They're not on anyone's news cycles. They're not setting trends. You don't hear about live from Lone Pine. Here's the latest, greatest trend. There's a lot of cool things around these. You probably know because of Mount Whitney, right? On one side, and... You went to Mount Whitney too, did you? Was that this last summer? Uh, y- Yosemite. Yosemite, okay. But there's Mount Whitney on one side if you're going north, the highest part in the lower 48, uh, the one McKinley is, or Denali is higher up in, in Alaska, and then if you turn right, you end up at Death Valley, the very lowest place in the continental America. And so you have the highest and lowest. You have a bunch of old mining towns. There's a lot of cool stuff because all of these towns used to be something great, but now they're not. It's just a bunch of landmarks, and you don't want to stop there unless you have to, and that's how I know about them. I had to once, a couple times. Our van on the way up to Tahoe pulling our boat broke down. It seemed every summer. And we would spend the night in Bishop waiting for a radiator hose to be trucked in from somewhere else. And so we were just stuck. One time my sister wanted to go walk in the desert because she thought the hill wasn't that far away. It turns out it was like 13 miles away. It's 90-something degrees where we are. It's really hot over there, but she wanted to go for a walk. And so my dad almost let her because she was getting annoying. That's a whole other story. But this is is the town. You don't want to break down on 395 because there's really nothing there. You don't expect much from these places. They're not setting trends. They're nice places, but they're not trending on Zillow. There's not a Michelin star pop-up happening there. There's nothing taking place in these towns. They got a good pizza place, but you just drive through as fast as you can. These towns remind me a lot of the little town of Bethlehem that we spoke of or sang about. It was a town that no one really went to unless they had to get to somewhere else. It was the rest stop outside of Jerusalem. Five miles is a long way to walk back then. And so you would walk to Bethlehem, refill your supplies, and keep going. Bethlehem used to be important. It used to be the center. The Canaanite people, they settled in Bethlehem way back in the B.C.s. They settled there, they used it as a a military installation, it was strategically important. And then the Philistines took over in 1200 BC and used it as a garrison. The Greeks took it over after that, and then the Romans just forgot about it. And that's where they are now. It's mentioned in the Bible, going all the way back to Genesis, Rachel, Jacob's wife, the one that he wanted to marry, not Leah, if you remember the story, she died giving birth to Benjamin in Bethlehem, and that's where she's buried. King David, his great grand or his grandfather and grandmother, Boaz and Ruth, are also buried there. This is where David was born. But this is the only thing that we learn about Bethlehem. A lot of cool things happened in Bethlehem, but nothing ever since. No one expected great things from Bethlehem. No upcoming neighborhoods, no companies headquartered there. No kings that vacation there. They weren't Jerusalem and they weren't Jericho. It was Bethlehem. Bethlehem had a reputation. Micah talked about it in Micah 5 two. But you, Bethlehem, Eraphatha, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and ancients, ancient times. Herod's scholars use this verse to point to him when the wise men, when the Magi's came to him, and they said, he said, where is this king of the Jews going to be born? And they said, according to Micah 5, 2, Bethlehem. Matthew picks up on this. Bethlehem in the land of Judah, you are by no means the least. It strikes me a bit odd. You're not the least. You're definitely not the greatest. I, I tried out for basketball Twice. Uh, In my seventh grade year, same year, spring, fall, uh, I tried out. Every time I was cut, uh, and every time the coach would say to me, well, you weren't the worst we've ever seen. You weren't the least important out there. Uh, uh, It it didn't work out. Carrie would tell me sometimes before I leave the house, well, that's not the worst shirt you own. Uh, It's not the least greatest shirt don't leave it around or it's going to find its way into the, into the donation box and you'll never see it again. It was their motto maybe. Bethlehem, we're not the least. At least we're not Arimathea. We're not Jerusalem. We're the world's okayest city. That's what I feel like Bethlehem. They just kind of went, eh, we're not that great. Bethlehem, you don't matter. You really don't count. This little town of Bethlehem challenges the way you and I think about ourselves. Because in a lot of our eyes, you and I feel a lot like Bethlehem sometimes. That we don't really count. That everyone overlooks us. That we're rest stops on the way to something greater. But the town of Bethlehem reminds us of three things I want us to look at today. The first one is you matter. The second one is you're valued. And the third one is you're useful. I think all of us have times in our lives where we are Bethlehem. We feel invisible. People pass through us. They know we're there. They know that there's something around us, but they're on their way to something bigger and better. Have you ever felt like that? I felt like that all the time in college. People walking by, oh, hey, Brad, I'm, I'm going over here. Someone, someone cooler with more hair sitting over there. Sure, they like to see you. They might even really, they might look at you, They know you're there, but they're not going to stop. It's weird to say this, but that makes you feel a little insignificant, right? You don't matter. And this feeling of significant is something that we all have. We all ask ask that question of us at some point in our lives. Do we matter? Do we make a a contribution? This is why it stings a little bit when someone forgets your name. They don't even recognize you. Or they take credit for your work. You worked hard. Someone else takes credit. You don't get any of the recognition. When your plans are the ones that always seem to have to get rearranged. When your order gets forgotten by the restaurant. When it's it's work, when your work is the one that's labeled non-essential. It gives us this idea that the world can go on without you. And then it feeds up into this pile and we end up feeling like we don't matter because we don't think we're essential. And so we crave attention from our bosses and our spouses and that's why we name drop. That's why we wear labels. That's why we buy the flashy cars or surgically enhance ourselves in order to get us to be noticed. And they might for a while. Remember the cargo pants fad? Everything was great when you wore cargo pants. For those of you who are older, cross colors, backwards. Remember that, three people say yes. All these trends and you do your best to catch up with them and then you catch up with them and then what happens? You're noticed and then the trend changes and you are stuck wearing cross colors and cargo pants. We search for significance. So, we latch onto anything that we can get a hold of a jersey worn by an athlete, a picture of you and that celebrity, uh, all to maintain your significance. I was next to greatness once. That's why I'm important. Let me tell you the story again on how I met someone who's important. We can all feel like Bethlehem. We did cool things one time, but now no one seems to care. It's the thought in all of our hearts, and it stirs our anxiety. It fuels our workaholism, and it drives us deeper and deeper into the dark abyss of trying to keep up, and it ultimately robs us of our life. Jesus had something to say about your insignificance. In Matthew 10, he's sending his disciples out, his ragtag bunch of disciples. They're fishermen, They're not rabbis. You wanted to be a rabbi if you were a young Jewish boy in that day. And if you didn't cut the mustard, you went and did a trade. And so all of these men are not rabbis. They're fishermen. They're businessmen. They're tax collectors. They're everything else. Yet here's Jesus. He calls them around. And then he says, I'm sending you out to be a representative of me. All of these ragtag, these rejects, no one would think of them unless they had to. And look what Jesus says to them. Hi, Caleb. I'll see you in a minute. I know. I am significant to Caleb. Yay. That's my boy. Okay. Matthew 10, he's sending his disciples out. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet none of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. There's a bald joke there. Just let it go. Please. Thank you. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. See, even Jesus let the bald joke go. He didn't even talk about that. But what Jesus is pointing out here is there's things we don't keep track of. Most of you don't keep track on the hairs of your head. You just kind of keep going. You don't weigh your hair. You're not sitting in front of the mirror going, one, two, three, I'm down four. You don't do that. Hair on your head, it just kind of happens, and it happens to leave. There's a whole verse in Isaiah about someone making fun of a bald guy. Read it. Don't do it. A bear will come get you. So the last time you thought about your hair, last time you thought about something like trivial like that, okay? He's saying that these things we don't keep track of. And then he mentions sparrows, and I'm, I tend to like birds, and so you pay attention to this. Sparrows, two of them are sold for a penny. That's a deal, right? You can buy two sparrows for what you find probably on Jones Avenue right here when you find a penny in the gutter. Two sparrows for a penny. Everyone can own two sparrows. They're common they're small. What good are sparrows? Luke goes a little deeper here. He says in in Luke 12, 6, there's a deal going on on sparrows. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one forgotten by God. Get this, one penny gets you two, two pennies gets you five. That's an even better deal. That's a Costco deal. Sparrows are the smallest bird that they knew of. You would think that if Jesus is saying that God is going to notice something, he's going to mention the eagle, the condor, a crow, something, because the crow is so annoying at 5 a.m., they're going to see it. This is what Jesus noticed. God notices the stellar animals. You don't say, boy, look at that beautiful sparrow. You don't notice the sparrow. You might give him a french fry at the zoo. They're not in cages at the zoo, by the way. You can't walk up and admire A sparrow? No one does. You walk past it. No one's spirit animal is a sparrow. They don't even have a great song. They're boring birds. I've watched them. There's nothing flashy about a sparrow. Yet here's the deal. They're the picture of insignificance. But what happens? God notices them. And when one falls to the ground, he notices it. How would you like to be or maybe you feel like that fifth sparrow? You're thrown in as extra. You don't matter. You're, the, you're literally the fifth wheel. Oh yeah, here's, here's one more just for good measure. This is how you feel. We feel like we don't matter. And maybe you've surrendered to this idea of being significant. One author points to this mindset of, of believing that you're insignificant as a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you believe you don't matter too much or you won't amount to much, when something comes up, say you're working this job for years and then the promotion comes and you apply. As soon as you put your resume and they call you and say, you'd be great for it. And then as you wait, you go, oh man, I'm not that important. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tank this interview. I'm gonna wear something stupid. I'm gonna spill coffee on me. I'm gonna do something and I'm not going to get this job because I'm really a klutz. And you start to believe your own headlines and all of a sudden what happens? The interview comes and you've met your own expectations. Or we do it the other way, maybe you're desperate to be noticed and so you give your attention and yourself to anyone who pays attention. You feel disposable so you become disposable to the next person that comes into your life. They take advantage of you and you've lived into your own self-fulfilling prophecy. When we think ourselves as insignificant, we live into the result that we dread. If all of your life is saying, I'm insignificant, I don't matter, guess what? You're not going to matter. In in high school, I played football. Uh, Obviously, I wasn't a wide receiver. And we were going over this play all the time. And it was, we needed to get this play perfect before we went home. It was dark, it was late, it was the end of the week. We had a hard practice And we're running the 46 pitch, which meant I, as a tackle, would run all the way around to the other side and then become the lead blocker and find the little small safety. That was my job. So, where this is the last play, I go, I pull, I'm running, it feels good. I come around the corner, trip, fall, bam. I'm out. Coach stops it, run it again. So I ran it again. And I'm thinking, don't fall. I pull, come around the side, same plot, boom, fall again. Coach comes up to me, what's your deal, there?" I went, I don't know. Okay, do it again. Run it again, fall. Three more times, fall. Now everyone is yelling at me. They all want to go home. Dinner's been ready. Parents are waiting in the parking lot. This is time to go. And so the coach comes up to me and goes, what are you thinking about? I said, not falling now. And he goes, well, stop it. Think about running. Sure enough, we did the play again. I ran. I'm not thinking about falling. I come around the corner. I don't trip. I find Brian Al Gore who's in the back, and I block him. And guess what? It worked. Somebody else messed up the play. We had to do it all over again. <laughs> but here's the thing: if I, when I'm sitting there thinking, I don't matter, I don't matter, I don't matter, I'm insignificant. Guess what? You're going to be insignificant. You're not insignificant, you matter. If God can look at a sparrow, you get five for two, come on. He looks at you. Later in the passage, he says, you worry about the flowers? Worry about the flowers? You're much more valuable than flowers. You matter. The next thing we see here from us is this. We think we don't have value. Psalm 139 puts it this way. For you were created, my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. According to God, we're skillfully woven together together wonderfully made, carefully pieced together like a work of art, like Bob Ross and his happy little clouds. We were made, we are a masterpiece. You are known, every single part of you, known, loved, intentionally thought about. Even the parts you don't like. Even the parts you try and mask, not with these. Even the parts you hate, even the parts you want to change. God cares about those places. Even the parts you're confused about, those parts are loved so much that God can't stop thinking about them. Here's what he says, Psalm 139, 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts, God? How vast is the sum of them? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. All of you matters, all of those thoughts Matter to God. Every single piece of you. You are not useless. You are valued. The other day, Judah and I were putting together a race car in Legos, and I made the mistake of buying the one for eight year olds instead of five year olds. There's a lot more small pieces. And we're putting them together, and every single piece of that dumb car mattered. Even the small one that's buried underneath three other pieces, that one mattered because if that one's not in place right, then this one doesn't go in place right. And I learned this the hard way. And if, the, and if that one didn't go in place right, the whole car falls apart. And then I step on it at 4.45 in the morning. Then when we got done, finally, Judah would hold the pieces and protect them from Caleb. And, so, and, and I would say, I need this piece. And he would find it. And finally, when we got done, we looked back and went, wow, look at that cool race car. And then we pushed it across and we enjoyed it. It was our masterpiece. Would you believe that God looks back at you according to what David says and says, look at you. You're a masterpiece. Ephesians says exactly that. You're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do the things that he has planned for you. You don't think you're worth it? You don't think you you think you're insignificant? You don't think you matter? You're disagreeing with God's assessment of you. You matter. Look at what Isaiah says. See, I have engraved you on the palm of your hands. God has a tattoo. And it's your name. He engraved you on the palm of his hands. You are valued no matter what they say, no matter how you feel, no matter how they've treated you, no matter how they've silenced you, no matter how they've disregarded or abused, you are valued. Lastly, not only are you valued, you're useful. Impossible, right? No way. God would use me? Absolutely not. Maybe you've convinced yourself of this. Well, you think it's impossible And it's a cliche, but that's God's favorite word, impossible. He loves to do what we don't think he can. So we say impossible and he goes, hold my wine, hold my water. Because Jesus turns water into wine. Okay, hold that. I'm going to do the impossible. This is what God does. He rolls his sleeves up. It's kind of his specialty. God prefers it. It says in Corinthians that he takes The weak, the ones you overlook, the ones who are cast aside, and the weak ones are the ones who confound the wise. The non-influential ones are the ones who influence. This is God's specialty. I'll read the verse to you. God chose the foolish things to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the lowly things of the world and the despise things and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Corinthians, where this was written, the city of Corinth and the city of Seattle have a lot in common. They both think they're pretty great. They both love knowledge. And boy, in Seattle, we love knowledge. We like to have those little letters after our names, bachelor's, master's, doctorate, postdoctorate, whatever, we love it. And we worship at the idol of being smart. We love to gain more information. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but we love it. We love to know what we don't like is to change because of what we know. We would rather talk about our theories. We would rather talk about what we heard on NPR. We would rather talk about what we heard on the news or 60 Minutes or the newspaper, whatever, Because we like to be smart and we like to be ahead of our times. And if you're not on that level, maybe you've noticed, if you're not on that level, you're kind of looked down upon. Like, oh, silly you. This is how Seattle is and this is kind of how Corinth is. None of that stuff makes people more useful. Look at what Paul says all of that stuff that men in the world, men and women in the world seem to elevate, God uses the opposite. He continues, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let, no, let the one who boasts boast only in the Lord. You can have all of the brains and the science and data and everything in order to make yourself important, in order to boast up yourself, make yourself feel useful, but what makes you most useful? Christ in you. That's what makes us useful. Not so that we can brag about how awesome we are, but how smart or how good-looking you might be, Rather, what makes us significant is the person who was born in your heart. The person who was born in your life. The person who lives within you. And that's Jesus. That's what made Bethlehem important that night. More than we realize. Bethlehem meant nothing until Jesus was there. It was a rest stop on the way to something else. But because Jesus becomes there... Because Jesus made that his destination, everyone comes to Bethlehem, in other words, to find rest. Though it was never the destination for anyone, it was the birthplace of the king of kings. Though it was small, because of its smallness, the world was forever changed. The least amongst amongst its neighbors, the least amongst all of Judah, was ground zero for God's redemption. And in its darkness, found a home for the light of the world, so that you and I can experience God with us. You might say you're insignificant, but you're worth more than the fifth sparrow, you're worth more than what they might think of you, and they're worth more, you're worth more than a town that people pass through. The greatest movie of all time is Hook. Hook. Anyone who says otherwise, Jen, is wrong. Period. Okay. In the greatest movie of all time, that is Hook starring Robin Williams. Glenn Close is in there too, if you didn't know. But uh, she goes into the boo box. But there's this scene. Okay. Peter Pan has grown up. He returns to Neverland. And as he's grown up, he looks nothing like what the Lost Boys had thought about him. And so there's this scene where they're trying to, there's an argument. Is this the real Peter Pan? No, it's not. Bangarang, all that stuff. And then this little boy pulls uh, Peter, Robin Williams, down to his eye level. And he starts pushing around his face. You guys know the scene? Pulls back his eyes. He kind of does this again. And then finally, and contorts the face enough. And he looks at, at Peter Pan and goes, there you are. And then everyone looks. And this is the transformation of Peter Pan. Now he starts to get his happy thoughts back. I think a lot of us have that kind of Peter Pan thing where we've piled on a bunch of insignificant things around our lives and we've, we've put on this lie and we've put on this other lie. I think this is what the Spirit of God wants to do to you. He wants to push it back and go, oh, there you are. Let's get rid of all of this other lies about you being insignificant, unwanted, undervalued, not usable. Let's get rid of that. And let's begin to see you as God sees you. Valued, loved, usable, desired, wanted, seen. You're essential to God's plan. And he wants to push it back to see you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that in this promise, that this promise of Bethlehem, we can find ourselves And be reminded that us too, the ones who are passed by, the ones who are thrown away, are valuable to you. That we can be seen because you see us. We're more valuable than the sparrow. You care about every single aspect of our lives. You've put us together, even the parts we think were a mistake. You don't make a mistake. And so, God, may we push back all of the lies that are around us that try and convince us of otherwise. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen.